Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and the one food I find disgusting is okra. Gross. And I'm Jesse, and the one food I find disgusting is olives. Olives? All of them? All of them. Unbiased. I'm Con... Oh, no. Um, We're just... (laughs) We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, social distancing on a video call with our Bibles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes to ah, chat about a theological topic ah, and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. Stop, it's fast, God, stop. <laughs> so, Conrad, what are we talking about on this episode? Well, Jesse, today we're going over where, where is God, God during, during coronavirus? coronavirus? Two, Two, three, three four. four. Where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? Where is God? At the time of this recording, the entire world has been brought to a standstill by the coronavirus. And people all over the world are united in uncertainty, fear, and pain. So in this episode, we're going to answer the question, where is God during the coronavirus? Yeah, so I've really seen this whole thing really taking a toll on so many people. Everyone is worried about their health, their jobs, their families. Right. And on top of that, there's a personal and emotional toll. Like people are feeling hopeless, isolated, and especially the biggest thing is loneliness. And it's so deep and widespread, isn't it? Because to me, the coronavirus is like a series of dominoes. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing dominoes fall and impact our lives in ways that we couldn't even imagine. So there's so many ways in which people are being impacted by this. Yeah, like people would have never thought that you can't have a birthday party or a wedding or go visit your family or go shopping. Right. Or think about the fact that no, most parents didn't consider that they'd have to be like the de facto teachers for their kids, for their schoolwork and their curriculum. Right. And there's just so much going wrong and all at the same time. And when people are looking into the future, there's this huge cloud of anxiety of what else is about to go wrong. And it can seem like there's, because there's so much going wrong, that there's just no hope, that actually everything seems so bleak. Right. And in everyone's despair, they're looking for answers and trying to give answers. And ultimately, people at the end of the day are looking for some type of hope. And I'm hearing from a lot of people, just have hope. Right. And most of the time, hope is referred to almost like a feeling, right? Like if you can just manufacture this sense that everything is going to be okay. But what if you're in it deep and you think, I don't know if it's going to be okay. And I don't have a feeling that everything is going to be working out to the best. Right. So on the surface, having hope sounds nice, but there's one major thing wrong with this. Having hope by itself does nothing. Right. It's not like we have these psychic powers that sends our hopeful, positive vibes into the fabric of space-time, causing reality to bend to our will. Right. And most of the time, hope is used in this kind of speculative way, like when we would say, well, I hope it doesn't rain later today. Mm -hmm. That is just like some sense of like, well, it would be great if this worked out in my favor. Right. But what we need is some kind of hope that there's like an assured outcome. That's the kind of hope that we need right now. Right. Because if you have hope or not, it's going to rain or not. And if that's the case, then why even bother with hope? So when hope is referred to like that, hope is actually useless. 
Right. Because hope is only as good as what you're putting your hope into. So for hope to be real, you have to put your hope in something with all these elements. One, it has to be real. Two, it has to have causal powers. Three, it has to want to actually work in your favor, but not just short term, but in the long term, long after any crisis passes. And four, it has to be permanent because you can't rely on something that can just be taken away or change its mind. Right. So, for example, a lot of people unknowingly put their hope in their finances, which can just easily be taken away. So we ultimately can't put our hope in that. And obviously it can't be the government because at any given time, half the population wants to replace those politicians that are in control. Right. So without knowing it, when people are suggesting just have hope, like general hope, what they're actually saying is put your hope into luck, except luck isn't real. It doesn't have any causal powers and it doesn't care about you at all. Exactly. When you use hope that way, it's a bit like having a checkbook or a debit card and not having any money in the bank. You can go and try to pay for something, but you're going to find that you have no funds available. So having hope without being able to put it in something that's verifiable that can actually support the hope you have means it's totally empty, just like a bank account. Right. So in this episode, we want to give you hope in something that has all the elements of something solid to put your hope into. Something real, something that has causal power, something that cares enough about you to work in your long-term favor, and something permanent. And of course, you know from the title of this podcast that the simplistic answer to this question is going to be God. But the answer to God only brings up more questions. The main one being, well, if God is real, he has ultimate power, and cares to work in my favor, then why am I suffering? In fact, why is there any suffering at all? And that really is the important question, because when life seems predictable and under control, it's really easy to put off asking those kind of big questions. Yeah. Or it's easy to be satisfied with really simplistic answers because nothing's going wrong in our lives. Right. But in the face of coronavirus, it's really not surprising that whatever your belief system, the big questions of life are breaking through to the surface and really demanding attention. And above all, coronavirus confronts us all with the problem of pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. This is one of life's hardest questions. So we all need to have an explanation or an answer to the question, where do pain and suffering come from? Right. And actually, the most popular argument that atheists use to attempt to disprove the existence of God is by saying, well, if God is good, then evil can't exist. And since evil exists, therefore God doesn't exist. But in fact, the problem of evil actually does the opposite. It actually proves God's existence because evil is the disobedience of God. So in order for one to disobey God, well, then God must exist for one to disobey, which is exactly what happened. So the Christian worldview tells us that when God created human beings to live in his very good creation, it was to worship and enjoy him. And part of that is loving God and loving those whom God has given to us in his creation. Right. So ultimately, God created us to be in a loving spiritual family in a beautiful universe. Right on. And so humanity in the beginning, Adam and Eve, they were given the opportunity for obedience to this good moral law that God had established. And to do anything from whatever motive that's contrary to the will and the word of our creator and ruler is a form of lawlessness. And that's exactly what happened in Genesis. 
what happened is that Adam and Eve, the first humans, rejected God, rejected mm-hmm. his love and worship toward him. Right. And sin entered the world. And the consequences were crazy huge. Yeah. There was death, first in the spiritual sense of a rift in relationship between humans and God. And later, there was actual physical death that followed. Right. So humanity's dislove of God through disobedience is called sin. And sin is the root of every problem we face. So sin, sin is the problem. Sin is the problem in the universe. Sin is the problem in my life. And sin is the problem in your life. Right. So sin caused and continues to cause three main types of suffering. And suffering really can be defined as a separation from perfection, from the ideal. So for example, if you don't have perfect health, then that means you're sick, which of course leads to suffering. So separation from an ideal relationship with God causes our souls to suffer in personal terms through the loss of meaning, through loss of value and purpose, and also loneliness. Secondly, separation from ideal relationships with each other causes suffering in relationship terms. So these are imperfect relationships such as in marriage and in families, but all the way up to problems in society and politics and between nations. So sin is the root cause of all the conflict and hatred that we see. And then what's the third source? Right. That's suffering. That's the result of things like natural disasters and diseases for which humans are not directly responsible. Things like earthquakes, tsunamis, cancers, and the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And this leads to the problem of pain and the problem of natural evil. We call it natural evil, not because viruses like Corona are moral agents. They're not like twisting their mustaches out there trying to devise some kind of evil, but we call them evil because they have an evil or bad outcome and effect on people. Right. So at this point, you might be going, okay, I get it. God is good. Sin is bad. But in God's goodness, can't he just forgive everyone and move on? So, but when we say God is good, we don't mean that God is nice. We mean that God is goodness itself, that he is just. And just like in our justice system, a just judge can't simply just ignore justice and take a criminal conviction and simply dismiss it. So the question now is, well, what is God's plan to deal with sin and suffering, and why should I trust him and his plan? Yeah, you're exactly right, because we need some kind of convincing evidence of the goodness of God's character if we're going to say that we should trust him, especially in a situation like this. Mm -hmm. And the unique thing about Christianity is it claims that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. The creator becomes human. And so, in a sense, Christianity claims God has already done something about this problem of pain and suffering, because at the heart of the Christian message is the death of Jesus Christ on a cross outside Jerusalem. Right. And so, the question we should ask is, well, if God's incarnate, what was he doing on a cross? I mean, at the very least, this means that God has not remained distant from human pain and suffering, but has himself experienced it. Yeah, and let that sink in for a sec. God didn't just go, oh, they're suffering too bad for them. No, God took on the form of man to what? To suffer as well. Right. So he suffered because God wants to deal with suffering forever, in the long term, for all eternity. He didn't come here to prevent suffering in the short term so that we could find romance or have a nice job and have nice kids, just so that we could die and be in suffering forever. No, his priority is your soul. So since suffering is a result of sin, God must first remove sin to remove our suffering. And that, of course, is done through Christ. 
so that after we die, suffering is absolutely done. And then we will live with God and each other in his intended utopian paradise universe forever. And this is where we can place our ultimate hope trust, and faith. So a Christian is not so much a person who has solved the problem of pain, suffering, and the coronavirus, but one who has come to love and trust a God who has himself suffered and has suffered for us. Right. So one of the types of suffering that God has taken care of once you've placed your saving faith in Christ is the spiritual suffering that comes from a lack of relationship with him. Because with faith in Christ, we can find true meaning, value, and purpose That's factual, objective, and unwavering. So the spiritual, psychological, and emotional suffering that comes from the lack of meaning and also from the fear of death is all taken care of. But that's not to say that once you're saved, all of your present suffering stops on this earth because we ourselves still sin and we still live in a sinful world ravaged by the effects of sin. Right. So this is the point where people correctly turn to God through prayer, but oftentimes they pray for the wrong things. They pray that God will remove certain types of suffering, such as loneliness or health or financial suffering. And when he doesn't respond in the way that we want, we then question God's existence or God's motives. And when we're saved by Christ through his death and resurrection, then we actually get this amazing promise that Paul records in the book of Romans. And the promise is, Mm -hmm. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Right. And that purpose is to love God and love others. Right. And so we know then that no matter what's happening in life, if we have been called by God and we are saved by him, then we can rest assured that no matter what is happening in the world, even if we're not getting exactly what we want, God is using that in some explicit and specific way for our good and for his glory. Right. So how in the world can God use all things, including suffering, for our good, like that verse says? So we have to realize that suffering can be used for good. Now, while that sounds crazy, suffering for our good is something we participate in all the time. Anytime we do any physical exercise. Physical exercise is actually making your body suffer today so it'll be stronger tomorrow. Likewise, spiritual exercise is making your soul suffer today, so it'll be stronger tomorrow. But stronger in what? Stronger in what God created us for, which is to love. More specifically, to love Him and love others. So at first, we're pretty weak at loving God and loving others. But through sufferings, through spiritual exercise, we gain endurance and strength in love. In Romans 5, it says... We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, this hope that we've been talking about. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's exactly what Romans 8, 28 promises, isn't it? It controlled suffering because God is in control. And so he apportions to us that which will help us to become more like Christ. Right. Okay. So number one, God already did something about ultimate suffering through Christ. And two, God is currently making us stronger and more like Christ through suffering so that we could be more loving. Right. So knowing all this, 
what is God trying to teach us through this coronavirus problem? So there's two places in particular where God is present in this coronavirus. Mm -hmm. He's doing two things. One that is he's calling us to rely and trust on him. Yeah. And the second is that he is calling us to serve and love like Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And to rely and trust in God means that every day, as all these new crazy developments unfold, that we're realizing that we're really absolutely helpless, that we've yeah. come to the end of ourselves. And so each day we need to get up and trust that God is going to take care of us. For a lot of us, that's a totally unique and new exercise. Right, because before this coronavirus problem, we didn't realize that we were actually putting our trust and our hope in ourselves, in our job, in our health, and in our families. And we could easily just distract ourselves with TV and sports and all that stuff. So life was easy enough where we weren't forced to trust in something bigger. Right. But what coronavirus did was it showed us how temporal these things are, how fleeting they are. So when you've been shown how easily all of these things can be lost, as you are trying to recover from all this in your search for a new peace and a new happiness, are we going to go right back and place our trust into these same temporal things that can be easily lost again? Or are we going to try to find something eternal to put our hope into, to put our trust into, and to put our faith into? And so to encourage that kind of faith and trust, we need to daily be going to the Bible mm -hmm. and spending a little bit of time reading it so that we're familiarizing ourselves with the promises that God has given us, like Romans 8, 28, yeah. that he is present and that he is active in our world and that he loves us. Yeah. And then to spend some time meditating on those, which of course is just like a fancy way of saying, when you're reading the Bible and something jumps out to you, grab that one word or that phrase and set it into your mind and think about it throughout the day. Really ruminate on it, kind of marinate in it, like let yourself pickle in it and really get to know what the scriptures say. Right. So we take that passage and ask ourselves, how does this change my relationship with God? How does it change my relationship with the world? And how does it change how I live? And because we know that the Bible will never ask us to do something that God will not help us to accomplish, mm -hmm then we need to couple that kind of Bible reading and meditation and consideration with prayer. Yeah. And that's really just an informal way of crying out to God and asking for help because God is a loving father. And so he wants to hear from us, our needs, and he wants to have conversation with us. And when we're in this place where we have all these worries and concerns, he tells us to bring them to him in prayer. Right. And remember when you're praying, remember what God's priorities are. So we're not asking for things that make our life easier. We're asking God to make us a better person, a more loving person, a person more like Christ. Right. So we're actually praying that God will use this trial or this suffering to make you a better person. So we're not necessarily praying for a job, but we're actually praying that through the trial of this job loss, that we will be a better person because of this job search. Pray that God can show you a Christ-like patience during the search, that he can show you a Christ-like thankfulness for what you already have, and Christ-like wisdom with your finances, and also a Christ-like peace in trusting that God will take care of you. Right. So again, the first thing that God is teaching us is showing us where we can place our trust, and we can place our trust in him in a practical way by daily spending time with him, by reading his word, and in prayer. Right. And so the second place where we see God in the presence of coronavirus is growing us to love and serve more like his son, Jesus Christ. Right. And a way that he can teach us to love others is through our marriages and families. 
So maybe today I didn't show love to them like I should. So hopefully I can grow from it and show more love to them tomorrow. So like what a lot of people are going through now is they're just stuck at home with their families. And this immediately exposes all of our weaknesses, us, our spouse, and our kids' weaknesses. Right. So let's say you and your spouse or your kids had a fight over, let's say, housework. So you can either let it repeat itself tomorrow or you can grow from it. Because remember, you're trying to be stronger in love. And not just yourself, but also as a marriage and as a family. So to grow in love, you have to figure out your weaknesses in love. You also need to figure out the other person's weaknesses in love, then also figure out the situation that triggered the fight. So first, of course, start with yourself. Is there a way to be more patient or to have more self-control or to be gentler? And then think about the other person. And if it's your kid, ask yourself, how can I teach them patience? And if it's your spouse, well, then try to find a better opportunity to calmly talk about it. Then think about the situation. Is there a different way to approach the situation so that all your weaknesses don't butt up against each other so much? And so you might not find a solution right away, but just being aware of everyone, everyone's weaknesses is a start. So give yourself time, pray for wisdom, pray for patience, for, pray for self-control, for love, and maybe a month from now, that same fight is a little less intense Maybe three months later, it's even less intense. And maybe six months from now, you're not fighting, but you're actually showing love. So basically, what we have is an amazing opportunity that God is giving us to show that we are the kind of people that we say we are, that we're willing to be obedient and kind and loving, especially toward our families in this difficult time, when it matters most, when things are the most difficult, when there's the most obstacles and hurdles to behaving that way, that shows that God is actually present in our lives and that there's something transcendent that is giving us the love that we're pouring out into others, even when we are exhausted and at our wits end. Right. And remember, it's not just about growing love for our families and others. It's about showing love to God more. Right. So we've already covered two ways to show more love to God through all this by spending time with him in scripture and prayer. But more specifically, one of the simplest ways to show love to God more is through thankfulness. And a lot of times we don't know what we have until it's gone, which proves that we weren't very thankful for it when we had it. So sometimes we take our jobs for granted so much that not only are we not thankful for it, but we actively complain about it. So that's like taking God's gift and then spitting in his face. But then when we lose our jobs, the same jobs that we were complaining about, then all of a sudden we're upset. So catch yourself when you complain about anything because you most likely are complaining about the very gift that God has given you. So turn your complaining into thankfulness. And you can turn around your complaining in two ways through prayer. So one, be thankful for the very blessing that you are most likely complaining about. And two, be thankful for how God is growing you in that situation that you're about to complain about. So a really quick example is a lot of times we complain about when we hit a red light. But we can turn that into thanks by saying, God, thank you for blessing me with this car and the job that I'm going to. And then for secondly, for how he's growing you, thank you for growing patience in me. So another example is, oh, maybe your kids are being a nightmare. Well, turn that into thankfulness. You can go, God, thank you for my kids and the responsibility to teach them to love. 
And then thank you for growing self-control in me. And then maybe you lost your job. Instead of complaining about it, you can go, thank you for that we live in a country with unemployment benefits or that maybe my spouse still has their job or that we still have our house or each other and our health. And then thank you for growing patience and peace in me. Right. So the more you get into the habit of turning your complaints into thanks is part of the process of showing more love to God. And guess what? During this coronavirus problem, there are ample opportunities to turn complaints into thankfulness. Right. There's a real sense in which these are practice skills and God gives us opportunity to exhibit Christ-like behavior so that he would grow that muscle memory in us so that as we progress through life and become more mature, it would become more normative. It would just become something that we do because God is good to us and he has changed us. Right. So we've talked a lot about God growing us in love, but we should also be showing love today. And in this current age, there are more and more opportunities to show love. Right. And there's so many of these opportunities are really just small acts of mercy that show an amazing amount of love. Mm -hmm. And it can be simple things like actually Christians have a habit of sacrificial care, like throughout history, especially like in actual like sickness. Mm -hmm. And so even like the Christian motive for washing your hands and not touching your face, it doesn't come from this idea of self-preservation. Well, I have to look out for me. It's actually in service and love to our neighbors because We wish to love and care for our neighbor, which means the first thing is not infecting those who are healthy. Right. Yeah. So even these little things like wearing a mask, these are actually great acts of love. We need to see them that way and not just as annoyances that inconvenience us. Right. So if you are looking for opportunities to show love, of course, start with the people closest to you and move outwards and ask yourself, in whose lives did God place me? And is there something that I can do now that I couldn't do before all of this or something that I just didn't think of before? So the first thing to do is just check up on your friends and family who are the most vulnerable and not just financially, but emotionally. Who has posted that they're maybe having a hard time? Can you call them? Can you organize maybe a Zoom trivia night? Can you invite them to go on a jog while social distancing? At a minimum, you should have a running list of people that you're praying for. All of these things are actually acts of ministry and charity yeah. and love in the Christian ethic. And only really the Christian worldview can see all these things in that proper light. So not only is it about, yes, washing your hands and wearing a mask and taking good advice from medical people and checking up on others and trying to make sure that those who you know are well cared for, but it even extends to stop buying more toilet paper than you need. Yeah, You yeah. need to hoard all these resources and we can't act hysterical. Our attitude should be one of trusting in God. And then because of that trust, reaching out in love and service, whether that means trying to pick up maybe some groceries for somebody who could use the help or purchasing a meal for, let's say, a, a medical worker who's working 12-hour shifts. All these things seem small, but this is exactly the kind of love that God is calling to us to exhibit right now. Right. And you know what? One of the worst things that could happen to you is to go through all of this hardship and not be a better, more loving person after this. So to summarize, God wants you to do two things during this time. He wants you to trust him and he wants you to serve others, which is just another way of saying he wants you to love God and love others, which is our purpose in life. So grow in your love and trust of God through spending time with him through daily devotions and in prayer, as well as going through your day, not complaining, but thanking him. 
and then show your love for others by actively accepting God's spiritual exercise to grow you in love through difficulties and also look for current opportunities to love and serve. Okay, so Jesse, where is God during the coronavirus crisis? In coronavirus, God is our hope. And he's our hope because he's given us his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and be like us, to live among us, to suffer like us, to die and then rise from the grave. And what that shows us is that God is able to redeem anything. So no matter how hard life seems like it is, no matter what's going on in our world, we know that he is using that for our good and for his glory. Right. And God is showing us that while everything else that we could put our hope into might get stripped away at any time, he is an eternal, unchanging hope. God is also showing us that he could use all things, including spiritual exercise and sufferings, to grow us into more loving people. And above all, God is showing us that he loves you so much that to deal with your suffering, Christ himself suffered to put an end to suffering for those who place their hope trust, and faith in Christ so that we could ultimately fulfill our God-given purpose, which is to love God, love others. That's it. That's all the time that we have for today. What? Tell a friend about this episode and remember to subscribe to the Fast God Stuff podcast. Fast God Stuff is a proud member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. And please check out FastGodStuff.com for all kinds of content that will help you hoard all toilet paper. (laughs) Until next time, love God. Love others. That's That's it. it.